Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Wow, what can I say? BJ Fogg, man, one of he's I, I wrote about him in my book, The Core Value Equation. Finally got him on the show. Uh, if you're looking to make any change in your life, any habit, you have to listen to this episode. We go deep in his book, Tiny Habits, which is just a game changer of a book. Uh, it's an amazing book. I love the book, but it's really about tiny habits, the small changes that change everything. How do we change habits? How do we change our behavior? He is an expert straight out of Stanford. This guy is the man. Stay tuned. Enjoy the episode. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazday. And boy, do we have a special guest. My man, BJ Fogg is in the house. BJ, welcome to the show. Hi, Darius. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh, I'm, you don't know how excited I am. I am such a fan of your work and to have you on the Greatness Machine to spread greatness, what a treat. So thank you for coming here today. Um, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get started with the show? Let's do it. Housekeeping matters. Nice. So for the listeners who are new to the show, the Greatness Machine, we're about two things, people who are living their passions and those creating greatness, and BJ is neither short of passion nor greatness. Um, you know, I want to give a little bit of background. So I... First got introduced to BJ. I was listening to NPR. I used to live in the Bay Area before I moved to Austin. And I was driving home from my office and, and going home in Oakland. And I'm hearing this, this really smart guy talking about how you can change your life by like making these small changes on it. And I was, and I was like, that's brilliant. That's because I'm a, I'm a change person. And I'm like, man, I always, I'll start stuff and then I quit it. And I never thought about it. And there was a, a thing that stood out to me was this idea of, of, Hey, if I want to floss, just go floss one tooth a day. And all of a sudden I'm going to like, you know, before you know, it, you're going to floss all your teeth. And, and I was like, man, that is brilliant. And so I went home and, and looked up 
and it turns out you had a, a book that had come out, New York, New York Times bestselling book, Tiny Habits. And I was hooked, man. I got hooked on, on the work you're doing and I uh, got really excited about it. I ended up bringing it into my business. I was a C, uh, formerly a CEO of a thousand person company. I'm like, you know, we, we try to do all these hard things. I got to make it easy on my team. If I wanted them to actually do stuff, I got to pick small changes. And, and that became, no joke, the foundation for all change management in my company was wow. leveraging your work awesome. to actually affect change in my business. So you don't know this, but I am <laughs> super pumped for this conversation. So thank you for coming on the show, PJ. So, so pumped to have you here. That's great. What, what, what a great way to get connected with my work. And weirdly enough, at the, uh, so my book came out in 2020 and Amazon named it, the editors of Amazon named it the number one business book of the year. And I was like, what? Because I could have written a book that was about business and habits and behavior change. This was not that. However, it was recognized for that. And as you saw, it can definitely be used uh, with business, with your teammates and, um, and so on. Oh man, it's, it's so it's, it's brilliant work to say the least. And so I, what I'd love to do, if you don't mind, I want to take a step back. I want to give your formal bio for listeners who are maybe new to your work. Um, and then, and then we like the origin stories here at the greatness machine. So I'd love to hear your origin story and a little bit about how you got into what you're into. Does that work okay. for you? Awesome. So uh, for listeners who uh, are not uh, familiar with BJ, BJ is a behavior scientist. He was named by Fortune Magazine, New Guru You Should Know. As I mentioned before, New York Times bestselling author of Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything, adjunct professor at Stanford, uh, directed a research lab for over 20 years at Stanford, and we're going to be talking about some of his new projects around this idea of tiny habits and using it to strengthen relationships and even some work you're doing with kids. So I'm so, so pumped to have you here to talk about all this stuff, specifically about in the book, though. But but man, I'd love if you could take us back and just, you know, I, I doubt if when you were like 10 years old, you're like, I'm going to go become a behavior scientist and <laughs> figure out tiny habits. <laughs> take us back, man. Tell us, tell us how you got to where you're at right I, now. I grew up in beautiful Fresno, California. And uh, we lived out in the fig orchards. I literally walked through fig orchards to school, to the bus stop. And if I rode, rode my bike, I'd ride through all these fig orchards to get to school. And I grew up in a culture that was very much about self-improvement and optimizing your life and helping others do the same. That was just, that was just part of my family's way of being, the religion that my family belonged to, and so on. And, you know, Steve Covey comes from that tradition. Clay Christensen comes from that tradition and so on. And my dad would sit me down and I was probably like eight or nine. It's like, what are your goals for this year? <laughs> On an annual basis, like, okay. So it was just part of the wiring of the culture. And then, you know, I remember in fourth grade with uh, one of my friends, Jeff Hopper, we would run around the track I mean, this is, I think back and I was like, I hate running now. But back then we would see how many times we could run around the track during lunch and we would count it and track it. And so on. so I think it was just part of the way I was raised and wired. Fast forward, um, also part of my culture was serving others and helping others. That was a big, big deal. And I became interested in how do I help others improve their lives through the behavior change. Fast forward became a... Uh, trained at Stanford to become a behavior scientist, specifically run experiments, uh, do quantitative work, and then got kind of personally, well, 2007 was a big breakthrough where I put together the pieces of the puzzle for how behavior works. And everybody, behavior is simpler to understand than you think. There's only three components. 
And at first, I didn't really believe this was the solve to the puzzle of human behavior because like, how can it really be this simple? But it is. It's simple. But there's also nuance and complexity. Behavior, and that includes habits. Habits is a type of behavior. Behavior happens when three things come together at the same moment. There's motivation to do the behavior. There's ability to do, to do the behavior and a prompt. So motivation, ability, prompt. I call that the fog behavior model, and that characterizes all behavior types, including habits. And, it, and I bring that up as part of the origin story because I looked, and there's a graphical version of that model that's hard to convey by speaking. So if you go to behaviormodel.org, you will see it. And then I was looking at my own graphic of my own fog behavior model, and I saw in that graphic, if you make a behavior really easy to do, you don't need high levels of motivation. The motivation can be really low, or it can be high. In other mm -hmm. words, by making something really easy to do, including a habit, then you don't have to rely on motivation very much. And so in 2010, I started, I put it to the test um, in a number of ways. And I was able to create, and there's a few other pieces um, to habits, but I was able to create habits quickly and easily. Um, I called it the tiny habits method. And I started teaching it in 2011 and coaching people through email. And this was not a Stanford research project. It was like BJ Fogg sharing what I stumbled across in my own life with people. But week after week after week, I was coaching two to 300 people a week, measuring the impact, optimizing the program. The program still is available today. My tiny habits coaches coach, not me. But that then just kept going, uh, Darius. I didn't think back in 2011 when I was like, let me share this method with others. Let's see if how it works for others. And it does. Within five days, people can create uh, at least one habit. Most people report at least one, one of their behaviors becomes a habit. I didn't think it would just keep going and going and going, but it did. And I was helping people and I was like, that's great. And so I just kept doing it. And then there was demand for the book. And I thought I'm not, you know, I'm doing more research, more research, ended up coaching about 60,000 people personally, and wow. then got busy on the book and the book's Tiny Habits, and it brings together both my academic work and my hands-on experience coaching 60,000 people in habits. And it's, the book isn't a summary of the old stuff. It's what I learned in doing the hands-on practice. Oh, I love that. So I have a question for you. So, so in doing that work and with yourself, what was like the toughest habit that you overcame, like, or that you executed on that, that had I told you before you started doing this work, you would have been like, there's no way I'm, I'm going to go and turn this into a habit. What was like, could you have, a, you know, my editors, it's funny you'd ask this question. My editors wouldn't let me include this in the book. It was dealing with my popcorn addiction, which was significant. <laughs> I know, I know they're like, BJ, people have serious addictions and you're going to talk about a popcorn addiction. But for me, it was serious. I ate so much popcorn and I couldn't resist and I had gained weight and I didn't feel good and I'd eat so much and I'd wake up in the morning feeling terrible. And that was a tough habit to get rid of. And I have, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without building the skills and the insights that are in the tiny habits method. So I'm sorry if that sounds trivial to people, um, but that to me was a significant problem. Um, yeah. and it took a while to untangle that and I did, and I'm so grateful. So <laughs> I know it's not an expected answer, but it, it's meaningful to me anyway.
No, I, I love that. I actually, I, I'm a, I'm a huge popcorn fan. So, so, but, but it's not, it's, it has not been disruptive to my life. So, so you actually talk about that in the book. You, you talk about dis- disrupting behaviors. Yeah. Maybe walk us through the popcorn example. Like how did you disrupt that behavior? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, there's more to the story. Like all people's uh, struggles with addictions or compulsions. I won't go into all the details, but when you look at the behavior model, like the behavior was eating popcorn in the evening when my husband and I were sitting around watching a movie or TV, like relaxation was there was this urge like time for popcorn, right? So that was the prompt. So remember motivation, ability prompt. So I was being prompted to the behavior of make and eat popcorn. Was the motivation there? Yeah. So I was being prompted. Was the motivation there? Yeah, because I liked popcorn. And also, and this is what I discovered later, popcorn symbolized or meant to me psychologically at some level that I was off the clock, that I was not working, that I didn't have to be productive. Mm -hmm. That went back to my family dynamic where we worked really, really hard as a Mormon family. That's what you do. You work like crazy all the time. But when we sat down and had popcorn, that meant you didn't have to be painting the the fence or weeding the garden or rototilling the field. You could relax. And so I think for me, the motivation was get popcorn. That means I'm relaxing. So that was the motivation. The ability was I had all sorts of ways to make popcorn. It was easy to do. So to stop the behavior, to stop the habit, you either have to remove the prompt, remove motivation, or remove ability. Okay. And that's easy to say or to. Could I remove the prompt? No, because it was like this internal urge, like time for popcorn. I can't remove that. Could I remove motivation? <sighs> Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit, but it was still there, you know? So the, so the thing I had, the lever I had to pull, the only one was ability, meaning how do I make popcorn harder to do or impossible? And that's the only lever I was left with. I played around with different ways of doing that, putting the popcorn paraphernalia in the attic so I'd have to climb up banning popcorn from the home and so on. I know you, you laugh. It, it, there are times when it's like, oh, I want popcorn. It's too hard. It's up in the attic. But there are times like, I don't care yeah. what it is. I'm climbing up into the dusty attic and getting the popcorn no matter what. Um, but what ultimately worked, you know, because in the book, there is a chapter about stopping unwanted behaviors, this kind of thing. And I don't say breaking right. bad habits. You untangle bad habits. It sets up a whole, di- it's not about breaking, you untangle, it's a process. So in the process, what ultimately worked for me was really focusing on making it harder to do, the ability factor, make it really hard to do. And by making it harder to do, sure, I could get in the car and drive to the store and buy the popcorn, cover, but that was just really much harder than going into the attic. And with that, uh, I was able to, and also one more thing. I learned about myself in the process that I was not a moderation guy on this topic. Like, oh, I can have a little bit of popcorn. I'll just have one small bowl. That did not work for me. I thought it would. And there was uh, multiple attempts where the moderation was the point. Mm-mm, not for me on that one. Uh, it just had to be clean break, never touching popcorn again. Even now, ever since I stopped, and people will offer me a little bit, or a friend gave me, like, here's really deluxe popcorn with, you know, it's really special. Eat this one kernel. It's like, no. <laughs> no, that's <really laughs> You're like, like, that's the gateway. That's the gateway to a pound of popcorn, man. I'm I not know. doing that. <laughs> that was insane with popcorn, but it, you know, it maps to the other kind of addictions that people are struggling with. For me, the discovery was I am more all or nothing on that issue. 
I could not do the moderation thing on popcorn. And I think that um, other people probably can relate to that. Um, so it really was about the ability factor and then understanding it, that it, I had zero tolerance for popcorn in my life. <laughs> Got it. That's so, uh, I, I love that. I think, well, I think it's a good example. And, and, and I mean, regardless if people are struggling with that or I mean, like, like I have a pizza addiction, like I'm not having one piece of pizza, like that's like, good luck. Right. But yeah. I, I love the, this, this idea of, okay, fine. Um, I got my three prompt, I got prompt, I got ability, I got motivation, right? Map, as you called in the book, B equals map. Um, and, and so motivation is not changing. You love it. Prompt. Uh, it's, 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 it's there. Urge. You're like, Hey, I'm, t- yeah. I'm turning off the, I'm, I'm turning off for the day. That's there. So, okay. I'm going to put it in this, the attic. I'm going to make it hard to get to. And and then that creates, then you got to be really motivated to go do it. So, so that makes total sense. Yeah, no, um, there are I want to, I want addictions and behavior changes like that, where you can get rid of the prompt. Um, like notifications of social media, those are prompts you can get rid of. Now you may have an internal prompt. Uh, there may be a food that you're not trying to eat, but you have it in the fridge. You open the fridge and every time you see it, it's like, oh my gosh, get rid of it. Like don't have it be in my parents' home. They had a lot of candy dishes and nut dishes everywhere. So every time you see it, that's a prompt. So one year I like went through their house and put all those dishes into drawers. And I said, look, your candy and nuts are still there, but they're just in the drawer in my effort to help them remove the prompt. And so that was both removes the prompt and makes it a little bit harder to do, right? So that's a combo move right there. Oh, that makes sense. I have a question, and this is just around habits in general. And and, and I, I wrote this note as I was, um, you know, reading the book. Um, and, and it's this idea that, you know, we as humans are conditioned for homeostasis or status quo. Like we're used to what we're used to. Yeah. So do you think, how do you feel like that plays into habits? I, I would love that, you know, that your thoughts around, hey, look, like if you're used to what you're used to and you're doing what you're doing, you're at this home, state of homeostasis. We'll go back to the example of popcorn. Homeostasis sounds like, hey, this is how I kick off my shoes. I, I have some popcorn yeah. and I, I unwind, right? So like, is it is it as simple as just saying, okay, great. I'm used to what I'm used to. That's homeostasis, you know, but I want to make a change in my life. So I got to go and be really strategic about it and start leveraging these things you're talking about in the model. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's a lot underneath this. Uh, I'll keep it pretty short. You can do follow on if you want. Um, yeah, we tend to keep doing the same habits and routines that we've done unless it's disrupted in some way. And that goes for good habits as well. Um, COVID disrupted a lot of good habits. Um, good habits and bad habits actually work in exactly the same way. And it's we, it's our culture and our values that assign popcorn is bad, at least <laughs> for me, or smoking or snacking or whatever, and what's good and bad. But habits all work in the same way. Um, the, the thing that I'm going to go after on this is what is what you can absolutely do is create the skill of forming and building habits in your life. It is, in fact, it's a set mm. of skills. And I have a chapter in my book where I outline what those skills are. You absolutely can learn those. And when you learn, you don't even have to learn all of the skills, just some of them. And the five-day program that and Tiny Habits teaches you some of them. And with that, you're able to create habits quickly and easily. And then change becomes something that is really not so hard to do. It's like, oh, 
I know how to create habits. I know how to disrupt this homeostasis. So there are certain things you want to keep going, of course, right? If you have a great sleep routine, don't mess with that. If you have a great way to, um, you know, date night with your spouse, et cetera. But there are things we either want to disrupt or create anew. And when you practice change in the right way, you build those skills of change, which does two things. Building the skills increases your ability. So now we're back to the behavior model, you know, motivation, ability, prompt, and increases your ability to do whatever kind of change you want. So you could practice uh, tidiness, for example, as a new habit, and then you can transfer those skills to another change that might be harder for you, like working out or stopping a behavior. And then the other thing practicing the skills of change does is it gives you more confidence. In other words, it takes away the fear of going after something. So confidence is a type of motivation. It's hope. It's if I do this, then this will happen. I have confidence. I can do this and have this result. So by practicing the skills and the change the right way, you both increase your ability and you increase your motivation. And then you can apply that to, we'll go back to homeostasis, to disrupting other things in your life that you want to disrupt. And that just gives mm. you the sense of, I'll just say the word superpower. Like I can create any habit in my life pretty much, you know, within the laws of physics that I want. And there's no behavior change that really is going to be impossible because you have the skills of change and you've developed those. Now you don't start with the biggest one, just like I've got a piano here in uh, my zoom room here in my home office. If you want to learn to play piano, you don't start with the hard concerto. You start with songs you like, you develop skills, and then you can go to harder and harder songs. Same things with behavior change. What's exciting and really what my tiny habits book about is to help you understand how behavior really works, not the old traditional things that mislead you. And here are how to think about behavior clearly. And here's how to design for the behaviors you want. And here are the skills of change. And the more of those skills you have, the easier it is to create habits quickly and easily. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, 
all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Oh, man, I appreciate that so much. It's it's interesting. What I heard you just say is like that that if we think of the ability to change habits as a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. That hey, we got to build that muscle, and you don't just go and hit, you know, start you know deadlifting two hundred, three hundred yeah. pounds if you've never lifted weights before. You got to start small to your point, tiny habits, right? Like I'm, I'm building that muscle, and th- this is it's. I never thought about that as an actual skill set. So, so to your point, like build the skill set, and then you can go and start applying it to, yeah. I guess, bigger and bigger ideas, bigger and bigger habits you want to change. Is that right? Yeah, and and so. And this is what happened to me in 2010. I, w- I, I, you know, and I can look back now and see what was going on. I developed the skills of creating habits quickly and easily. And it just was like, this is insane. I can just create one week. I created 16 habits, 16. They weren't huge, but I it put them into my routine. And I, and it's like, that's wild. And that's why I thought, man, is it just me that can do this? Or can I teach others? That's why I started teaching it. And it's like, yeah. Others can do this. And that is, and that's why when I look at people recycling the old stuff, the myths about habits, that it has to be repetition and da da da, it just frustrates me like crazy because that's the old stuff that did not work very well. And yeah. when you do it in this new way, and you, especially if you focus on developing the skills. And one of the skills is picking the right habit for you. And one of the skills mm. is being good at being okay with flossing just one tooth, setting the bar low and being okay with that, which was not how I was raised. So I had to work hard on developing that skill. Um, anyway, there's uh, 24 of those in the book that I map out. And it is, it's a great thing. And I think that's ultimately... Now, writing a book is a huge project and writing this kind of book that is, it's not a tiny book, everybody. It is a, a significant book with um, a lot of new ways of understanding behavior that have never been described before or shared. And, but finally, it was just like, I've been given these insights and I've been able to do the research to discover these things. And I really, really, it is my obligation whether you think it's God or the universe or whatever, I need to share this. And if 
and so there it is. It's in like 30 some odd languages now. And I feel like it's out there and people may want a shorter book or they may read a different book, but I think I've done my part of the project or my, my part of what I was supposed to do in getting these insights into the world. And a book is a great form for it. And when you invited me, you know, this is part of the, the giving back, you know, and sharing. So that's why uh, yeah. I'm excited. One reason I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Oh man, I appreciate that. Let's talk about, you know, just as an example, um, and I was thinking about this because I've, you know, there's this whole craze right now and around, you know, cold plunge, right? And, I, <gasps> and so I, I, I'm thinking about buying a cold plunge and I start, and I, and as I was, I was going through the book, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I'm like, all right, every single time I even look at my family and I, we do a New Year's Day cold plunge and our pool is like 52 degrees this year. And so we dove into our pool and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm thinking about buying one of these cold plunges. Yeah. Like you go to like 40, 40 degrees, right? And and so I started thinking about that, like something like that, where like, you know, it's going to suck. You know, it's not going to be, but it's a habit I want to form. So A, I got to go buy one, but I'm like, man, am I going to really go buy this thing and then never use it because I'm going to hate using it? So I would love to hear you apply the fog model on like someone that wants to start cold plunging because probably a lot of our listeners are thinking about starting this habit because it's it's out there right now. And a lot of people are saying, you know, Huberman's talking about how important it is and how it changes your, you know, physiology. And let's just assume it's like all the science is real on this. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go in a a, a 38 degree water for four minutes a day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me tell you what I've done. This is uh, so yes. Um, Oh, okay. So I've heard about cold plunge for a few years. And by the way, I hate cold water. I hate cold. I live in Maui most yeah. of the time, okay? And when I'm in California, I don't want to get in the ocean. It's it's insane. And even in Maui in the winter, it's a little cooler, but I get in. But so premise, uh, I am not a fan of cold at all. However, I finally got more and more motivated because, you know, I heard from more of my colleagues and so on. I thought, okay, this could be. So notice it's the kind of behavior where you are demotivated. I hate cold and you're motivated. So um, Darius, you can see this, but others can't. So motivation is pushing you up on the behavior model The uh, you know, like, oh, it'll be good for me and it'll reduce inflammation and et cetera, right. build discipline, other things and demotivation of, oh my gosh, it's going to be like cold. And I hate cold is pushing you down. Right. And so you got those. Right. And there's a part of my book where I talk about how motivation works like this in vectors. Finally, the motivation to at least try it overcame or pushed up against the <laughs> the, the uh, fear and the potential pain of getting cold. I was already, uh, so I surf every day, most every day when I'm here in Maui. And then after I'm done, I hose off in the hose. There. So that's pretty cold, but not too cold. It's like 70 degrees. So it's not terrible. But you know, I was still like, okay, I can, you know, I can get in the ocean. I can hose off after it's cold. It's fine. So notice I'm baby stepping myself here. And then... I didn't buy the whole setup. I went and bought bags of ice. So I bought like three bags of ice, filled up the tub, threw them in the tub. And at first I didn't get a thermometer and I just did it. And I was like, fine. But then I got a thermometer and I was like, okay, what is the warmest this can be and still have an effect? And at least my reading of it was it's got to be under 60. So we're not talking 40 degrees here. It's like, okay, let's get it to 58 degrees and do it. And then in the tiny habits way and the mindset, it's like, let me just try it. And if I'm only in for eight seconds or 10 seconds, that's fine. Okay. So just any behavior that you are, whether you're creating a habit 
or it could be a big behavior and you're procrastinating it, scale it back and just take the first mm. step. Just take the first step and trick yourself. Just say, okay, I'm just going to sit in the tub. And if that's all I want to do for 10 seconds, that's fine. That's good. It's a huge success. Well, as it turns out, as much as I hate cold water, I sat down in the tub and I was like, ow, this is really freezing. But after about 10 seconds, not so bad. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to lay down in the tub and have it go up over my shoulders. Again, a little bit of pain. But after all, I was like, no, this is actually starting to feel good. So I really focused on that. Um, and I don't do it every day, but a couple times a week. Um, and now I don't buy bags of ice. We bought a freezer to, we bought a whole freezer for this. So I could uh, um, freeze my own ice blocks in these tubs. I put them in, in these plastic tubs. So I don't have to go buy bags of ice. And so still, I don't make it super cold. And so notice one, I, I didn't go buy the whole setup. I just did the minimal thing. You know, just get some bags yeah. of ice, put it in the tub. That's fine. Notice I didn't make it like, you know, my friends brag about how crazy freezing cold it is. Eh, I'm okay. I'm okay lowering my standards. And y'all, that's part of about creating habits is, yeah, you want to work out for an hour a day or journal, you know, five pages or read a book um, a week, lower your standards. And instead of achieving on the size of the habit, achieve on consistency. The fact that you flossed one tooth, the fact that you got in the cold plunge for five seconds. What you will find is that when you just get started, that leads you to do more. And you might do more the very first session. Mm. Like you might floss all your teeth day one, and that's awesome. But you do not raise the bar. This is another important part of behavior change in the tiny habits method. Set the bar really low. We'll just, I'll go to flossing and back to cold plunge. So you set the bar really low. I'm just going to floss one tooth. If I feel like doing more on day one, fine, I can do more, but I don't have to. And usually you'll do more than one. And then you naturally, it gets, you get more motivated, you get more skilled at flossing. So you can floss all your teeth pretty easily, but there'll be times you're super tired. You floss one tooth, did it, go to bed, you know, kind of thing. So you lower your standard, you put the bar low, you keep it low. And every time you go above that, you congratulate yourself. So back to cold plunge. It's get the water below 60, at least just sit in it. Boom, that's the low bar. And if I do anything else, like get in, submerge, or stay for 10 or 15 minutes, boom, extra credit. I'm overachieving. And I tell you, when I get out of the cold plunge, usually it's like 10 minutes, I'm feeling awesome. I'm like, good for me. I did something <laughs> that I'm not naturally inclined to do. And you know, I, I don't know how to measure the health effects, but I know from a, uh, just like this confidence and like I did it and it's awesome. And I actually feel really good, you know? Um, so that's how I approach cold plunge. Now, will I buy the big setup? Maybe, but I don't have to, you know, the box of ice and the tubs working fine for me right now. Oh man, you just saved me a bunch of money and got me motivated <laughs> to go. Uh, I, I'm so, I swear to God, I was sitting there, I'm like, because you know what's interesting is nobody posts, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, this is going around social and it's a lot of like people that are well-known thought leaders like Joe yeah. Rogan and and you know, people like like his stuff and 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 Huberman and and all the and you know Peter Atia and stuff like that and so you, you see these these you know people who people respect their opinions yes maybe they do maybe they don't but but obviously those that are doing it do and we're hearing about the health effects of it 
And and no one's posting someone going into a pool at 60 degrees. They're posting themselves going in at 38 degrees. And they're like, like, I hate this. The ice away in Antarctica and jumping in. Yeah. It's that's yeah. That's like playing the concerto. That's like playing the concerto out of the gate. You know, that's not that's yeah. Now Yeah, yeah. Well Oh oh, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, the tip is this. Well, this is I'm a goofball and I like fun and goofy things. I bought this little thermometer for the tub that is a whale. It's like a child's toy. And I guess it's for parents to make sure the tub's warm enough, but it's super cute. So I put the, and you know, here in Maui, we can look out from our home and see whales. And so I feel, you know, kind of imagine here's the whale with me in the cold water. What's the temperature? Okay. It's low enough. I'm going to get in now. And there's just something fun and light about having a cute little thermometer float around. You can get rubber duckies. You can get otters. I chose the whale. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh no, that's cool. Um, so you know, I want, I want, I want to kind of pivot a little bit, and and I think one of the reasons why I love your work so much is I can, as you know, I I come from the world of being a CEO and entrepreneur and building businesses, and I always tell people, I said, look, you get the business you design for, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to, and I I like to design culture, I like to design values, I like to design execution models. I'm and I, and people say, well, Darius, you're a CEO, and I go, no, I'm a designer. I design the business I want. And and so when I, when, why I think your work resonates for me so much is I feel like there's so many aspects of design. And when I was reading the book, there's a part that talks about the seven steps to behavior design and yeah. redesign. And I'd love if you could kind of talk a little bit about how you came up with that, what that is, and how, and how that works in your model. Yeah, for um, Rewind 25 years, I've worked in inventing and innovating stuff. Uh, for industry people. So in addition to my academic work, I just love inventing and creating stuff and innovating and leading innovation and processes like that. When the behavior model came together for me in 2007, I then started creating, shifting my methods to map toward behavior change. How do you use these um, innovation methods in the service of designing deliberately products and services that will change people's behavior. So those came together. And then I was consulting uh, and doing that and refining and making those methods. And it boiled down to seven steps. Now I teach those and how to do those in a training I call Behavior Design Bootcamp. So it's Behavior Design is the name. Bootcamp and teach you how to think clearly about behavior and how to design for the behaviors you want, whether it's within your company or getting people to use a product or an app in a certain way or getting membership to create habits. And it's not guesswork. There is a very systematic way you can go through and figure out what is the, the behaviors we want, et cetera. And I won't go through all seven steps, but it's a systematic thing. And, um, and both that and tiny habits comes from this fundamental solve, the behavior model. Behavior happens when motivation, ability, and prompt come together at the same time. I could not have done either one without solving that fundamental, um, I don't know, I would call it a problem or something, that having that funda- fundamental understanding of how behavior works, it's those three things. So, but first, part of the behavior design steps is figuring out what is the behavior we're designing for. So for example, let's say that, let's say a company says, oh, I, we want more employee engagement. Okay. 
That's not a behavior. That's step one. Clarify your aspiration. We want employee engagement, but then you would work with the CEO or people in charge and say, well, what do you mean by engagement? Okay. Because that's an abstract word. The next step then is to come up with a whole bunch of behaviors, specific behaviors that would lead to engagement. Um, mm. Come to the Friday beer bashes. They respond to our surveys. They, you know, they wear the special shirt on Mondays or whatever, you know. So, and then from there, that step two is to come up with a huge range of behaviors that would take you to the outcome, in this case, engagement, however that was defined. And then there's a few steps. There's a later step where you prioritize. So, if you have 40 different actions or behaviors or habits employees could do, how do you prioritize and pick the one or best ones? Then once you have that, then you have your behavior and then you concern yourself with motivation, ability, and prompt for that behavior. So notice mm. before you apply the behavior model, you've got to figure out what is the right behavior, the right set of behaviors. And there's steps to do that. So you're not guessing. You're doing it systematically with your team and you're doing it in a way that the whole team agrees and that's really exciting. Yeah. Then you get this consensus and alignment. And that is just like a game changer. So that's behavior design boot camp. Uh, love teaching it and worked with a lot of people on this. And it just, just gives innovators and people creating products or people shooting for change, you know, any kind of um, behavior change or outcome, a set of systematic steps and skills. So you don't have to guess anymore. How do we get this to happen? You don't have to guess. There's a systematic way to approach it. Oh, I love that, man. Just the, the, and the thing that really stands out to me is, is again, the simplicity of this where there's, but the, but the step one is two is, is figure out what, what am I trying to create and then define that behavior, get clear on that behavior. Then it's like, okay, great. We got the behavior. Let's go to the map. Yeah. Let's go and get yeah. the work done. So that makes so, so much sense. One of the steps, um, and you talk about this in the book, um, is ac anchor prompts and action prompts. And so I, I thought that was really, the, the, those were really, A, it was really smart. Like, man, all, the whole book's smart. But, yeah. but you know, I, I would love to, like, I have a friend that calls it habit stacking, right? Mm -hmm. Where he's like, where, where, where it's around, you know, kind of figuring out these things I'm already doing. Yeah. And then I go in and then, and then I go and I tag on them. So talk about action prompts and, and anchor prompts, if you don't mind. Yeah. I started sharing the anchoring concept in 2011 and then other people picked up on it and called it habit stacking, which I think is actually a better term, <laughs> but uh, you know, in tiny habits, we talk about it as anchor and you anchor. So the anchor is a routine you already do that prompts you to do the new habit that you want. So this is, you know, later in the process. And now we're not talking about creating an app or a, a program, but it's um, designing habits for yourself and you're designing habits. You're not using willpower or discipline. You are designing it into your life. And that means you iterate too. And part of that is if you're going to have a habit happen reliably, there's got to be a prompt for that habit. And in the tiny habits method, you don't leave it to chance you find an existing routine you already do that will be your prompt. And I picked anchor because it was like, we're going to tie this new habit to something solid. So back to flossing. So if you want to start flossing and scale it back to be, you know, lower the bar to one, two, say, well, okay, what's going to prompt me? Uh, well, brushing. So you, brushing is a very solid thing in your life. So you anchor the new habit, you attach it to brushing. So after I brush, 
I will floss one tooth. And so you, now you've designed, Tiny Habits, we call that a recipe. You've designed a recipe. After I brush, I will floss one tooth. After I pee, I will do two push-ups. After I start the coffee maker, I will do three slow squats, okay? So all those things, you know, brushing and peeing and starting the coffee maker are things that many people already do. And you can use that to be your reminder or your prompt to do the new habit. Mm. So you're designing it into your existing routine. You're designing the new habit. You're finding where it fits naturally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, no, that's it's so, it's so smart, right? Because because it becomes this thing where it's like, all right, I mean, everything you just named, I'm like, oh, that's the that's my routine, like that's me, that's the first 15 minutes of my morning, right? But if what would happen if I was to layer into that these other things? Where to your point, it's like, all right, pour the coffee, go do push-ups while it steeps, <laughs> you know, you know, like like it makes so much sense and such so smart. I, I'm telling you, everything about the your process, it just it's it's been a game changer for me, and 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 I and I'm just so excited. To keep to be able to have this conversation. Um, now I'm going to go to the challenge I have okay. with, with the process because, and, and this is the biggest one, and it's towards towards the end of, of the interview here. But but and and a lot of I think people who are achiever oriented may agree with me right now. This idea of celebration, yeah. and so I I was like, oh, I'm like I'm so bad at celebrating, and you call it feeling the shine, but. You know, I, you know, A, I'd love for you to, you know, kind of talk about why it's important. And then B, I'd love some guidance. How do you celebrate more? Because for me, I've always been bad at celebrating. I have friends that are like, Terry, she's got to stop and smell the roses. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm moving on to the next thing. So how do, how do we, I mean, obviously it's a, yeah. I guess it's a habit I need to build, but, but yeah, help, help me out here. How does one celebrate you, and why is it important? You for the are process? not alone in this. So let me, um, I'll come back to the word celebration here in a minute, but let me uh, lay the foundation. What causes a habit to form is the emotion we feel as we do the behavior, okay? So a behavior, a habit is a behavior you do automatically. What causes it to become more automatic? The emotion you feel when you do that behavior. It's not repetition that creates a habit. I mean, push into the research of people claiming that, and you'll see the research does not say that, though that has been propagated and propagated many times. Um, there are some habits that form very, very quickly. Like you use a product for the first time and you love it and it, you feel like it gives you a superpower. Bam, and you usually use it all the time, right? So notice in your own life, there are products and services that you use that are one and done. The habit forms instantly. You're no longer considering what other pen should I use or a new route, me driving to Stanford, and I find a new route that's prettier and faster. How long is it going to take for that new route to become a habit? None. Bam, yeah. one and done, right? Because right. I feel like it's prettier and it's faster. Yay. Why would I ever do the other one? So recognize that it's not a function of repetition. It's the emotion we feel. So in the tiny habits method, and I stumbled across this, you know, in, um, I don't know if I, the story's in the book, how I stumbled across it. And only in 
retrospect, recognize what was going on. In the tiny habits method, you don't leave that emotion to chance. You cause yourself to feel a positive emotion while you're doing the new behavior or immediately after. Okay, you're self-reinforcing. You're self-reinforcing. We reinforce pets. We Mm. reinforce kids. We reinforce employees and spouses and all that kind of stuff. Why? So they will do that behavior more frequently and more automatically. So in tiny habits, and this people thought this was wacko. And I thought in my book, I have a whole chapter on it, that's emotions create habits. I thought people would just like attack me for that. And it's been the opposite. People are like, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, so that has not been the most controversial yeah. chapter, but it is radically new. So in tiny habits, what you need to figure out, and this is where people stumble, is wh- how can you, and we call it celebrate. How do you, what do you do to create a positive emotion inside yourself on demand? And that what you do, we've called celebration, all right? Um, For some people, it could be as simple as just doing a fist pump and going, yes. Some people just nod and say, did it? Um, The what what trips people up, I think, is, you know, some of the examples are doing a happy dance and going, woo-woo. And some are like, no, that's insane. That's not for me. Well, not all shoes are for everybody. you got to find what works for you. Um, one of the ones that we are teaching in the Tiny Habits program now for the uh, celebration resistant, for the cheer-resistant people, is a purpose-focused celebration. So as you do the new habit, you think of a higher purpose, a life purpose, that this habit will help you achieve. So you think very actively by hydrating more i'm going to be able to teach my stuff better on this podcast and that is my life's purpose is to share how behavior really works so you connect a feeling of success by thinking this is helping me achieve something very important in my life so you're not being a cheerleader and you don't have to dance or do some people love those things and they do work but um but some people just can't get over that hump so think of as you're doing the new habit Uh, Let me give another example. So I am turning 60 this year. And it's really important to me to stay uh, uh, active and vital and be able to teach and research and lead my lab and all that. And I think muscle mass and bone strength is a component of that. So as I'm doing the push-ups after I pee, if I'm I've already wired that habit in. Once the habit wires in, you don't have to celebrate anymore because it's already done. But let's say I'm creating a new habit that's around strength or resistance training, I'm thinking, good for you, BJ, by doing this, you will increase your muscle mass and your bone density, and you'll be able to achieve this high purpose you have in your life, which is helping people be happier and healthier through behavior change. And actively think of that connection. These push-ups help me achieve this thing that's very important to me. And that is a type of celebration. Oh, man. I, I I really appreciate that. I'm going to let you know that uh, after uh, getting ready for the show today, I said, "All right, I'm going to I'm 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 today I'm turning 45 this year, and I'm like, all right, this is the, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life this year." So I started working out, and and I I was riding pelotons and stretching and and doing some lifting today. And when I got done, I'm I'm a guy that doesn't celebrate. I was like, I stopped. I had a moment. I said, I thanked myself and I said, good job. We're going to do it again tomorrow. Great, great work. Good job. Right? But just it, good for you, that was it. It was just, yeah. just having that one little moment. And I, and, and I think it's like, it's like, what's the conversation you're having with yourself? And, you know, I talk, I have a book called the core value equation, which is it's around what's the conversations that we're having that are aligned to our values. And what are we having those with ourselves? And I was like, wow, 
that's what this is what this resonates with. Like, am I thanking myself? Am I am I giving yeah. myself that moment? And and I just saw it differently. I saw it the way you just said, where it was more purpose driven. Because I'm a person that just doesn't. I'm not going to be like, you're the best, man. You know, that's just yeah. not my style. Yeah. But but I love I love where it, I did it today for the first time, and I'm like, I can Good do for this. you. Well, and tune into that feeling. I mean, the and this is a skill, the ability to celebrate, and you just tune into that feeling, and I'm showing how it feels to me visually like it's here in the chest and you can really turn up the volume of that let me give you a power tip on celebration um yeah please for something that is longer and direct for something that's short like flossing one tooth celebrate immediately after like smile in the mirror and go good job beach you're going to keep your that's how i'm talking to myself beach you're going to keep your teeth longer and you're going to look better and you're that means you're going to have more opportunity to share your stuff or whatever um but if it's longer in duration, like reading a chapter or working out, celebrate as soon as you start. At the beginning mm. of the workout, say, good for me, I am working out. So celebrate at the start. Because really what you're doing for a habit that is lo- uh, something that's longer in duration, you want the starting of the workout to be the habit. You want the opening of the book to be the habit. Okay, so you don't delay the good feeling because you want to wire in the initiation, the starting of the behavior and then celebrate at the end, too. And even during, you know, say, you know, good for me, you know, just those thoughts. So and I map this out in the book in that chapter, you can uh, celebrate the beginning while you're doing it at the end. But for something longer, like working out, also bring in that initial um, self-reinforce the initiation of the workout. Yeah. I love that. My, my, one of my best friends says working out's a five minute decision and, and you either put on your shoes and get it done or you don't. And to your point, like just putting on your shoes and showing up, you should celebrate that because you're not going to not work out once you start. Yeah. So, well, I, And notice how it works in other aspects of our lives. And I'll give a bad example, but see the pattern. Um, so if you eat French fries, I don't eat French fries anymore. Which French fry gives you the strongest positive emotion. Is it the first one, the one in the middle, or the last one? It's number one, right? That's the one's like, yeah. yum. Okay, that's where the habit wires in. It's not the last French fry that's wiring in the habit. It's the first one. TV show. <laughs> what part of that TV series is making you go, I want to watch this again? It's not the last scene. It's that very first scene. So if you watch TV shows, they've changed how they've done it from years ago to, man, they have a really funny thing up front. And then they do the credits. So it's like, boom, they get you right away. So they reinforce the initiation, the start of eating French fries, the start of the show, et cetera. So now take that, and you'll see that everywhere now, and apply it to your own, the habits you want to form, which may not be French fries or TV shows. But um, it's, you know, habits, whether we consider they're good or bad, all form in the same way. They start tiny. They find where they fit naturally in our lives, and they get reinforced and with tiny habits, you don't leave the reinforcement to chance. You do it deliberately. I love it. Well, I, I, I want to respect your time. I know um, you have two really cool projects going on, Tiny Habits Songs for Kids and Tiny Habits for Strengthening Relationships. I'd love for you to touch on that really quickly, and then, and then I'll get you out of here. But man, this is, you've been two, kicking ass on this show. Two this totally different things, but in the service of helping people around the world be happier and healthier. Um, I've been working with a songwriter and part of her team uh, and I write some of the lyrics and she fixes them and they, we create these songs and we're just launching them now. So uh, we're calling it Tiny Habits for Kids. 
that's on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. The videos are really hard to do. The songs are pretty easy and super fun. The videos are crazy hard. But um, it's really geared to kids from three to 10. And it's to teach them uh, how to think clearly about behavior and behavior change. And these are beautiful, fairly sophisticated songs. It's not like, you know, little nursery rhyme, trivial songs. And um, I'm really, really pleased with the response to that. And the idea there is to help a generation of young people grow, grow, grow up understanding how behavior really works and being able to create habits quickly and easily. So it is a pretty ambitious vision, and we're just rolling out. Next, in my Stanford lab, we are focusing on helping people build stronger relationships for various reasons. And this includes business relationships. In fact, that's the, the, the primary thing, at least with uh, last year's work in it. And so in my research lab, we have this new way of helping people visualize their relationships and strengthening them. And that's not quite public yet, but it will be, we'll start rolling it out in a number of months. All the results have been really good on that. My class last fall was all about helping students build, strengthen their professional relationships. And my class coming up uh, in spring, I teach a tiny habits class at Stanford, and that will be all applied tiny habits for building stronger relationships of so both personal and professional. And I probably don't have Love to explain it, why, right? I mean, it's such a key component in our happiness and well-being is relationships. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and last but not least here at the greatness machine, we always love to ask our guests a uh, final question before we, we send them on their way. Uh, like we're all about creating greatness and you know, what, what I find is greatness is hard. You know, it's not something that, that, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And, and so my question for you is what's the biggest barrier to greatness you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? I think the biggest, one of the biggest barriers was assuming that everything had already been figured out already. Like, Oh, there's been decades and decades of people are in behavior change centuries of people thinking about behavior change has all been figured out. And I had, uh, assuming that it was all figured out, and I had a really, at Stanford, so I did my doctorate at Stanford, um, I created a theory of kids in media, a framework and theory of it. And I brought it into the, the kids in media professor and gave it to him. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do this. You're too young to have theories and frameworks. No, you're too young, but you can't do this. So I, I, that just reinforced, oh, it's all been figured out. And I was studying the tradition and assuming everything that had been published and peer-reviewed was accurate and true. And guess what? None of that was accurate. And then there, I um, somehow, I forgot how the shift happened, but the breakthrough was, no, so many things have not been figured out. And so many of the answers from the past are actually wrong or insufficient or impractical. And I gave myself permission to blaze new trails and put things out there and say, yep, this is new, and this is different, and this, um, so it was getting rid of that assumption that everything had been figured out, and allowing myself to innovate and explore, um, and to create new insights and new processes. So I think that, for me, was the shift between being very traditional and stuck in the old ways, versus, wow, breaking new ground, and every everything I do both at Stanford and outside. It's always about innovating and doing new stuff that will help people be happier and healthier. I love it. BJ, what a pleasure having you. 
I mean, I mentioned what I said from the beginning. I've been looking forward to this talk the second since the second we scheduled you, and even before, uh, you've been on my list forever. And um, so, man, thank you so much for coming and dropping knowledge and sharing your work. Um, where can folks connect if they want to learn more about the stuff you're doing? What's the best way for them to get all things BJ Fog? BJFog.com. BJFOGG.com is kind of like the place you can go elsewhere. Uh, we'll take you to tinyhabits.com. It'll link you to my Stanford work and so on. I don't think we have the songs there yet, but we will. So it's really bjfog.com. And I'm BJ Fogg on all social channels, though I don't post much, uh, really. So, And the book, the Tiny Habits book, brings so much together that you can't find anywhere else. Uh, so that book is really the best way to understand the last oh, 15 years of my research and innovation. And it's not a tiny book, okay? It's not. But uh, I believe it's very readable. All the stories in there are true. And there's, there's ways of thinking and ways of designing that, um, that I think are important. And but that's my view. And people can judge for themselves. If nothing else, go to the, um, and this is free, go to the Audible site for my book, I had them pull the preface. I recorded a special preface just for the audio version. And it's about the challenges I've had with my voice. I have a strange voice. So I thought it's appropriate. I had Audible pull that in front of the paywall. So you can just go to the Tiny Habits page and Audible and listen to the preface. You'll get a sense of me. You'll get a sense of the book. You'll get a sense of things I've struggled with. Not the popcorn. Again, they wouldn't let me include that anywhere. <laughs> That's an easy way to go. Oh my gosh, do I want to know more? Do I want to get more into this book? So that would be, I guess, the uh, the next step if you don't want to spend you know $12 and buy the paperback version of Tiny Habits. Well, they'd be foolish not to spend way more than that. So, oh my gosh, what, what a pleasure having you here, BJ. Thank you so much. So much gratitude from us here at The Greatness Machine to, to get to spend time with you, have you educate our audience. I, I really thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. This was super fun. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so let's go to the audience. Guys, listen, go buy the book. Get the tiny habits. Your behaviors, your habits are what you are. They're what cha makes the change happen. We're performance junkies here at The Greatness Machine. And BJ's work is just like at, at a level that I rarely get to see. So go support his work. Uh, and listen, leaders were shared. So share this episode for anyone that, that's trying to make some change happen in their life. This is the type of thing they need to hear. Uh, with that said, please support the show. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And uh, with that said, peace out. We love you guys. Take care. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and 
gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.